Was anyone thrown off track by the change in time this morning? I always ask questions as though everyone's going to answer, but I know you were saying this before. I wasn't thrown off track too much. I wish that my kids had gotten the memo that it was an extra hour of sleep this morning. They woke up same time they normally would have, which was an hour earlier since the time change, but that's okay. And my wife and I spent probably a good 30 minutes last night arguing it over if people forgot the time change, would they be early to church or late to church? And somehow it became incredibly difficult for us to sort out would they be early or would they be late. And I was arguing that they would be early. And I think I'm right in that. You guys think I'm right in that? No one showed up early this morning, so I don't know. Does anybody think that they would be late? No? No one wants to disagree with the pastor again. Well, I'm glad we're all here one way or the other. And I'm very excited to get into God's Word. We're continuing along in Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 6 this morning. And before we dive in, please pray with me that God would help us, to help me to communicate it, to help us all to understand it, and by His grace to help us to submit to it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again as we do every week. I'm excited to, to dive into your Word. Lord, it's... It's water and bread to us, and I pray for your help. Help me to communicate it clearly, please. Help me not to say anything to, to filter out the power of it or to mislead. God, I just I rest in you for that, and I pray for everyone who will hear it, including myself, that you would help us understand, also help us to adjust our lives accordingly. Lord, let us not just be hearers, let us be doers. And we'll give you all the glory. And we know that it's only by your grace that these things might happen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, if you'll remember, we spent this whole fall building up to them getting into the land. Last week they were in the land, and God took them through some steps of preparation before they were going to start conquering the people. Joshua is kind of a bloody book. There's a lot of warfare, a lot of battles. And everything has been building up to this, today. Today, Joshua chapter 6 is Jericho. We have all heard the story of Jericho, those who've grown up in church, right? The walls of Jericho, I'm sure there's a song about it, I can't remember. Children hear the, the story about Jericho. We all grow up knowing it. So this is it. And I'm going to go ahead and start at chapter 6, even though we didn't get to finish chapter 5 last week. Um... We could study the book of Joshua for years, really. So don't think that after you've gone through this, you've learned everything there is to learn in the book of Joshua. We'll have to bypass some things at the rate that we're going to go through it. So we're going to go ahead and start in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out. No one came in. Now, before this, at the end of chapter 5, what we skipped... It shows Joshua walking around the outside of Jericho. He's walking around. It says his head, basically it sounds as though his head was down. He was walking around, probably mulling over, how are we going to do this? Remember, we talked about these walls. There were two 30-foot tall, really serious walls. In between the walls, acres of land at a really steep incline. It was thought to be impenetrable. Joshua knows this is their next step. And we see here in verse 1 that the city is shut. It's totally shut. It was probably eerie. 
how quiet it was outside the walls of Jericho. No kids running around playing, no cars going in or out. It is shut because they know Israel is right at their doorstep. So that's the scene that we're in here in Joshua chapter 6. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and his valiant warriors. See, I've given it into your hand. Joshua must have felt like, no, I don't see that you've given it into my hands. I see 60 foot of wall and our army cannot break through it. God says, see, I've given it to you. It probably didn't look like it to Joshua standing out there. So God gives him the plan. This is the main part that we're going to dwell on. God has led Joshua every step of the way. And Joshua does not yet know how he's going to conquer this city. Six, chapter 6, verse 3. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. So this is the plan. Joshua, this is God speaking. Here's what you're going to do. Get all your men of war. Walk around the city. It's probably about a nine acre plot of land. I'm not sure how long it will take to get a whole army around that. But you can kind of envision it. You're going to walk around the city. Once a day for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city with all your men of war. Seven times. And then everybody's going to yell at the city. And this is the plan that he gives Joshua. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes here. You're leading this people up against an impenetrable city. And this is the plan that he gives you. No clever tactics like we see in Braveheart or, or heroics about storming the wall. No show of strength or might from the Israelites. Walk around the city a bunch of times. Once a day. Seven times the last day. And then yell at the city. Shout. That's the plan that it gives Joshua. So what is the principle here? You know, we talked last week about how is, how is a history book like Joshua helpful for us? You know, we kind of get, glean principles from these history books. What's the principle here? If you lock your keys in the car, are you going to remember what Joshua did? And you're going to walk around it several times and then just yell at your car until you see the little door lock thing go up. Should Christian schools have their football teams run laps around the track rather than take the field and line up? Is that the principle here? Your difficult situation, your Jericho, your difficult person that you have to deal with at work. I would like to see some of you run around that person several times and then just shout at them. I think that would be amusing. This is a really good example. I say these things because this is a perfect example of why you can't read the Old Testament history books. And see when something in quotes that God said to someone and take that literally for yourself like God said it to you. God is not mean for you to conquer your problems in this exact same way. 
You see what I'm getting at there? I know that seems obvious, but that's a really common problem when you interpret. You read the Old Testament. You say, well, God said that to him. He's saying it to me. No, he's saying it to him. And he's letting you listen in. So what do we get out of this? Because God's word is, we know, is, is God-breathed, is profitable for rebuking, which just means pointing out things that are wrong in us and correcting those things and teaching and training us. What in this story about Jericho, this history, what in here is beneficial for us for rebuking and correcting and teaching and training? What do we draw from this, this principle? I mean, from this story. For one thing, like we said last week, history books give us a glimpse of God in action. It helps us to get to know God, how He works, His ways. It's a whole lot easier to live with someone, work with someone, hang out with someone if you've gotten to know them. You understand sort of how they work, who they are. It's the same thing with God. It, it makes no sense for us to try to serve this God if we don't know Him. If we don't understand how He works and His ways. So there's a lot in here to benefit us in that regard. The first thing, I listed several in your insert. I'm really only going to talk about the first one. Because I think that's enough for us to talk about this morning. The first thing I see about our God and His ways and how He works is that His ways are not like our ways. God's ways are just not like our ways. I want to read you a verse. You don't have to flip there. It's in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a really important principle to grasp. God's ways are not like our ways. Okay? Let this sink in. Like last week, Joshua got all the Israelites into the land, past the, the flooded Jordan. The waters come back. They're basically stuck between the flooded Jordan and their enemies in Jericho. And then he has them circumcise all the men, putting them out of commission, basically making it where they're totally vulnerable and they can just be wiped out. That's not how we would have done it. I don't claim to be any great military strategist, but that's not what I would have planned out. But that's what God had them do. And now Joshua stands at the, the base of Jericho with these huge walls. And as he was walking through there at the end of chapter 5, I can't imagine what kind of scenarios he was running in his head of how might we do this. Do we need to come up with some kind of ladder system to climb up over the wall? Should we start digging and tunnel under the wall? Should we build a big horse and pile in and pretend we're giving it as a gift to the Canaanites and have them let us in? And yet God comes with his plan, which is completely different from anything we would have ever thought of. Completely. There's a couple characteristics of God, God's ways I want us to look at. There's three. We'll hit the first two quick and dwell on the third one. It's really the third one that I want us to get to, so hang with me. First of all, God's ways require faith from his people. Everything we've seen God do so far in Joshua requires tremendous faith from his people. 
And we see him working like this all through Scripture. His ways require faith from his people. I mean, it would have been safer if they had circumcised the men on the other side of the Jordan. But that wasn't God's way. He wanted him to have faith in him, not in their strength. They do it on the wrong side of the Jordan for man's turn. So they were trusting him. So when you're struggling with a decision or what path to take, this is one question to ask. Which would cause me to have more faith in God at this juncture? Because God's way for you will require you to have tremendous faith. The second thing, God's ways bring him glory. Now imagine if Joshua had come up with this amazing plan. We'll just use the Trojan horse thing as an example. He comes up with this amazing plan. They build a big farm animal of some sort. They all pile in and they pretend they're giving it as a peace offering to the Canaanites. And they let them in and they come out at night. And it's so clever. And Joshua is just so amazing to have thought of this. Israel so smart, so strong to have been able to do this. Demolish the inhabitants by their own military genius. That would have been glorious for Joshua and the Israelites. God's way requires them to, by faith, do something that must have looked extremely foolish. Those, those people in Jericho must have looked over the wall and saw them just walking around, let's say day four or day five, and been like, these guys are idiots. What are they doing? God's ways are not designed to bring us glory. They're designed to bring him glory because he's the most glorious being there is. It would be idol worship for him to allow us to be glorified. It's about his glory. That's something else to take into account when you're making decisions and you're, you're thinking through possible plans. What's going to bring God the most glory? Now, number three, this is where I want us to really drill down into God's word. And I want you to really let this sink in. God's way is initiated by his word. God's way is initiated by his word. The way that requires faith and the way that glorifies God is initiated by his word. No, Joshua doesn't make any, any progress forward until he's heard from God. It's been this way since the beginning. Remember Genesis? Might be God with some word right there. Remember in Genesis, he creates everything. How does he create it? His word. He initiates it with his word. From the foundation of everything, he, has, he initiates with his word. Even creating the universe and creating you and me. And all through the Bible we see it. In Joshua's story we see it. I see Joshua chapter 6 and really the whole rest of Joshua as an outgrowth built on top of Joshua chapter 1. Where God comes to Joshua and says, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to conquer this land. I'm going to give this land to you. Don't be afraid. And what's the one thing he tells Joshua to do? In Joshua 1, 7. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. But then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have success. This is foundational for the rest of the book. How can we live by God's way if it's so contrary to our way? 
If His way is so different from how we would do it, how can we live His way? The only way we can do it is by being saturated with the Bible. I said that God's way requires faith. That doesn't mean that I want you, when you're leaving here, to climb up to the roof, jump off, and try to fly home. Because that would require a lot more faith than if you drove your Camry home or whatever you drive. Yes, that would require more faith, but that's stupid. Some people take this to silly extremes and they think, well, I'm just going to have faith. Living God's way does not mean being reckless. Joshua Joshua wasn't reckless. (laughs) I call him Josh again. Joshua was not reckless. He was careful. He was out surveying the lay of the land when God first came to him and told him his plan. He sent spies into the land to, to check it out. He wasn't just being reckless and he wasn't sitting in his tent with his Torah there just waiting. He was, he was making plans. He was thinking through it. He wasn't just sitting there waiting for lightning bolts of inspiration. He was doing his responsibility. This has always been a weakness of mine. I guess that's why I bring it up. I, I tend to not trust my own instincts very much. Um, to, to a fault. Um, so I use faith as an excuse to just kind of sit and wait. And just hope that God's going to work stuff out. That's not the kind of faith I'm talking about. I just want to clarify that before we keep going. God calls us to plan, to be active, to take initiative, to be wise. I mean, look at Proverbs. The whole book is devoted to practical wisdom. So it's not always a matter of whatever's the most bizarre action is God's way. It's not a matter of just sitting and doing nothing until God somehow sends some miraculous vision to you. It's not a matter of passively waiting. It's about walking by faith in obedience to what God tells us to do. It's about walking by faith and obedience to what God tells us to do. Don't just do scary things because it seems like a Jericho sort of thing. You must be reading your Bible and listening for His voice and His Word. That's what I'm trying to get at. And I'm going this direction because I know that we so desperately want this passage. We so desperately want this bit of history about Jericho to teach us, don't worry about anything. Sit back. God is going to demolish your Jericho. We want so bad for this to be about God plowing away for us no matter what. And that's just not what it's about. That's just not what this is teaching us. We don't learn about God that he's going to demolish our Jericho from this passage. We learn that God accomplishes His purposes for His glory and He allows us to be a part of that if we will listen and obey His word. And that if is an important part of that sentence. Some of us want God to miraculously just crush our Jericho, our problem, our issue. When often we have built our Jericho brick by brick with decision after decision made totally without the counsel of God's word. This story does not promise that God is going to just crush all that and carry us to safety. This is what he did for Joshua. Christianity is 
is not for the faint of heart. We've sugarcoated it. For so many years, trying to interpret history like this, saying that God's not going to let anything touch you. You just sit back. Don't worry about a thing. You're a Christian. God's got you covered. He does, in a sense, from your sins. But in reality, these stories tell us diligently, diligently, diligently search His Word. Read His Word. Listen to His voice. Because if you don't, your life is going to end up in disaster. That's why the whole book of Joshua is built on him saying, all this stuff's going to happen. This is my will to get you guys into the promised land. Your part is keep your nose in this book. Meditate on it day and night. Think about it so much that it's all you talk about. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. That is a very important passage of Scripture for me. One that I've misunderstood for a long time. And I, like many, just wanted so bad for Him just to make my paths straight. Make my path in life straight, not confusing and easy. I thought that's what was promised me. He will make your paths straight. But if we're unwilling to saturate ourselves in His Word, listen to His voice, obey, submit to it, none of those promises apply to us. And let's be honest. I think that the majority in this room tend to be like me, and we tend to just go by our own understanding. We just lean on our own understanding. We rely on it. We have decisions to make. Crisis comes up. Immediately. Start leaning on our understanding of things. What do I need to do? God says lean not on your own understanding. Trust Him with all your heart. How are we going to trust Him if we're not listening to what He even has to say? Just hoping to make our paths straight. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man and its end is death. There's a lot of ways that seem right to us, but they're going to end in destruction if they're not informed by his word. God told Joshua in the beginning, be careful to do according to this word. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Live squarely in line with the word. Let it so dominate your thinking that you talk about it all the time. Meditate on it in the daytime and in the nighttime. That, that word meditate... It's like a, a cow chewing cud, just chewing it up in your mind, thinking through it from every angle, getting all the nutrients out of his truth that you can. He wasn't giving Joshua some prerequisite activity that he had to do in order for God to bless him. I want to make that clear too. So many of us have the mindset if I don't have my quiet time in the morning, God's not going to bless me in the afternoon. Almost even that God might punish us if we don't read our Bibles in the morning. I've heard a lot of people say things like that. Reading your Bible is not like ringing a bell that causes God to bless us or protect us. It's not a, it's not a cause-reaction kind of thing. It's, he's not saying to us, you read your Bible and then I'll do amazing things for you. 
He's saying, I'm going to be doing amazing things. You read your Bible, submit to it so that your life is aligned with my will so that you can be a part of it. He's saying, if you don't read your Bible, you'll be clueless about what I've been trying to say to humanity forever. And you'll make terrible decision after terrible decision. And your life will be marked by foolishness and sin. And eventually you'll look around yourself and you'll just see a mess piled up all around you. And you'll think, how did I get here? Don't think of it as punishment for not reading your Bible. Jesus took our punishment. It's not punishment. It's just consequences. He lets us make our own decisions. But he's given us his word. His voice is is on our shelf or or in our car, wherever we keep our Bible, always quietly saying to us, open me, read me. It says God's voice, God's voice to you. So I guess I wanted to protect this sermon from giving you the wrong impression. I did not want you to go out of here thinking, God's going to demolish my Jericho this week. He probably won't. That's not what he's saying to us this morning. He's saying, plug yourself into my word. How else could Joshua have have known that God would have him walk around Jericho seven times and yell at it if he wasn't listening to his voice? And you know, we probably are wrong about what our Jericho is anyway if we're not saturated in the word. We probably think that our Jericho, our big problem, is some personal issue with somebody. And then we get to the word and we realize that's not our big problem. Our big problem is gossip or, or bitterness in our hearts. Or we may think that our big problem, our big Jericho is massive debt. And then we get into the Word and we realize that's not our big problem. It's been that I've, I've been worshiping myself with my money for all these years and not God. I've got a heart problem. Don't go chipping away at problems until you are in the Word. You might not even be working on the right problems. And I can assure you of this, from personal experience and from God's word, if your decisions and if your thinking and your planning, if they are not directly in very tangible ways informed by scripture, they're not God's way. And it will probably end up in heartache for you. I mean, look around us at the casualties all around us. Men just ruined. Families destroyed. Our nation crumbling around us from within. Nobody along the way thought that they were making bad decisions. It was a way that seemed right to them. And I see it all the time when I talk to people who've grown up in church... And they're like, I've done the church thing. Why is my life crumbling around me? And I'll ask, well, have you been in the Word? And the answer is always no. And they wonder, is God punishing me? No, He's not punishing you. It's just the logical destination you've been traveling on. You haven't been letting His Word shine a light on your steps. It says that this is a light to our steps. Um, Often I end up walking at home during dark. And I have to walk through a cemetery to get home. And I've gotten used to walking through cemeteries in, in, at night now. It's kind of creepy for the first while, but you get used to it. But it's so dark 
there. There's no street lights that shine in that, that part between the old church and the parsonage. And so inevitably, I have to just take my cell phone and just try to shine it because there's limbs that will smack me in the eyeballs and there's stuff to trip over. But all I can see is just what's right in front of me. I shine on the ground to make sure I'm not going to trip, and I shine on the air to make sure I'm not going to hit a tree limb. And that's what I do. I have to walk very slowly. And all I can see is just what's right smack in front of me. I can't see the path clear to the house. That's how the Word operates. You need it all the time as you're walking through life. You've got to be shining in front of you all the time or you will make terrible decisions, terrible mistakes. And God will allow it. He's not going to make us be robots. So we can't think that Sunday morning while I heard Matt preach Sunday, that's like me shining my flashlight for just a second and put it in my pocket and just walking off until I get smacked in the face by a limb. You've got to have it all the time. Our instincts, if they're not molded by Scripture, they're just going to be wrong. Our instincts are not like God's. And we think that we're in a churchy culture. We think that we kind of go with our gut. But no, we can't. We've got to let everything be guided by Scripture. And it's not just my job as the pastor. It's your job as, in, as individuals. And I can tell you that in my life, every real problem that I've struggled with, I thought this through to make sure I'm not overstating it. Every real problem that I have struggled with and that I have faced ultimately has been because I've not been in the Word. Now, there are very real external things that happen in your life that you can't control, and you being in the Word are not going to stop. But it forms your reaction to those things. And every time my life has just gotten into a tangled mess, I can trace back the lines and see, well, there was some part of my heart or some part of my life that I should have submitted to Scripture long ago. And I didn't. And here I am. In my self-made mess. And every problem, every bit of strife that, that we have encountered as a church here since I've been here can be traced back to someone or all involved not submitting some part of their heart or their life to the Word. The lesson we learned from Jericho is not to sit back and trust that God will topple the walls of our problems The lesson we learn from Jericho is to listen and submit to Scripture, to align our lives with Scripture. And then God says you'll have good success, you'll be prosperous. Then you'll be like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water, your, your leaf not withering in the drought, you're producing fruit in its season. But only if you're planted in the Word. Those promises are conditional, they don't just come. God's given us his voice, and he wants us to just wrap our lives up in it. Now, time's running out, but I wanted to give you something practical here. You and I need to take personal responsibility for this. You need to take personal responsibility for this. This is your life. Are you reading your Bible every day? You need to make time for this. You need to read your Bible every day. You have to. And you need to come up with a plan for this. I bet many of you have financial plans, retirement plans. Do you have a plan for Bible reading? To protect yourself from living 50 years and then looking back and being like, oh man, I blew it everything because I didn't listen to what God said to me any step of the way. 
Their Bible reading plans online. Just Google search for it and pick one you like. It's easy to find them if you want to. If you have a Bible, you can read easily. Study notes are a good thing. You may need to go invest in a Bible that you can read easily. Study notes are like having a mature Christian sitting there beside you to answer your questions as you go. Get a good Bible that you can read. If you don't know a lot about the Bible, go get a study Bible to help you. There's nothing wrong with that. It'll start as a discipline and it'll end up becoming the most joyful thing in your life. Are you turning to the Bible when difficult decisions and issues come up? Or are you just going with your gut? People write out pros and cons lists. Those things are helpful. Before you do that, write out a, what does God say about this list? Use the index in the back of your Bible to do it. Google search. What does the Bible say about fill in the blank? Google, I've said to my youth many times, is, is about the most helpful Bible study tool I have outside of the Bible. Because it'll shoot you to what scriptures pertain to what really quick. You'll be surprised what God says specifically about finances, about health, about family, about guilt, about whatever it is. Map it out in a notebook if you need to. Submit your decisions and plans to His Word. Husbands, you need to take personal responsibility for serving your wives in this. I have such a burden for the men in this church as of late because our responsibility is very serious. You need to take personal responsibility for this, men and women. But husbands, you need to take personal responsibility for serving your wives in this. Does she even have time to read her Bible? Especially if there are young kids in the house. Moms wake up to crisis and they go all day serving those kids until it's time to lay down exhausted in the bed. Is there anything you can do to help her find time to read her word? Do some of the morning chores so that it's not so crazy for her in the morning. Put the kids in bed so that she has time without kids climbing all over her face to listen to God's voice. You love her, you want to be a godly husband, this is a very practical way. At least give her some time so that she can, she can do this. When difficult decisions rise up, are you leading her to just talk about it until you're both worked up into a frenzy of fear and worry, or are you leading her to the Scriptures? Fathers, you need to take personal responsibility for your family in this. Are you an example for your kids? I've told you many times how my mom's example of always being there reading her Bible when I woke up, no matter how early I woke up, made more of an impact on me than anything. Do they see that that is your source for light in life? Are you establishing Bible reading as part of their routine? Do they see that this is an integral part of life? This is for families with young kids, obviously. Are you leading them to the word when decisions come up? Please think through this. Please don't let this just be another thing that, that bounces off and falls to the floor. I don't want you guys to live another day, you who are not in your word, in your Bible. And we're going to sing a closing song in a minute, and it's about how God will make a way. I want you to know that that is true. God will make a way for those who listen to his voice and by faith obey and submit to it. God's not in the business of making a way for those who ignore his voice. This is what's going to make or break 
your life, your family, this church, not how hard you work, not how nice you are, not how much you give. Are you listening to God's voice? He wants so badly to speak to you, to help you understand how to live your life. Are you submitting to the scripture? Now close with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and then He will make your paths straight. Like Joshua, paths straight into the impenetrable city of Jericho. 